The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Hello and welcome to the Circling the Bases podcast, proudly presented by NBC Sports Edge. My name is DJ Short and with me here once again is Drew Silva. Chris Crawford pinch hit on the show last week while Drew was getting ready for his wedding. Drew, welcome back and congrats. It was a great wedding. Uh, Tyler O'Neill hit like a three-run go-ahead homer in the eighth inning on Saturday night during our reception, which really brought the energy up at the place. People started dancing to the playlist that I had spent hours curating. Um, And so it it all paid off and it was, it was a glorious night, a lot of kind of like sensory overload. Um, So many people that I haven't seen in a bit, Um, but the weather cooperated. So we got to do it all on the patio at one of our favorite bars slash restaurants. That's just down the street from us. And it was just a big party, man. It was It was a really cool night. We are live on the NBC Sports Edge YouTube channel right now, as well as the NBC Sports Edge Twitch page. So welcome to our audiences there. And uh, just for context, in case you're listening to the audio version of this show, we're recording Thursday night, September 23rd. So just a week and a half to go in the regular season. So at this point, I think everybody knows what they're doing. Like if you're in contention to win, maybe you're looking for like streaming starting pitchers, but basically, you know, what you have is what you have. Um, and you probably know what you're doing. So what we're kind of looking at at this point is looking back at what's happened this year and looking ahead to next year. So with that in mind, we're going to take a look at notable fantasy surprises from this season, surprise breakouts, players who wildly outperform their average draft position in the spring and to help us do that we have ben palmer from pitcher list here ben it was great to be on your podcast shagging flies way back in the first half of the season which feels like a year ago uh <laughs> yeah. but happy to return the favor here thanks for coming on yeah man thanks for having me and drew i'm gonna have to have you on shagging flies at some point soon as well it would be a blast i would love to man yeah i listened to that it was like a two-hour episode you had with <laughs> yeah yeah. But I listened to the entire thing. I, I like the way you guys kind of go in. I don't want to say it's unscripted, but it's a little bit unscripted. Oh, it's 100%. It's a, um, <laughs> it's a podcast about nothing. It's like the Seinfeld of uh, fantasy baseball podcasts. It's a yeah. podcast about nothing. Uh, yeah. we, I, rem- I pitched it to Nick because we were launching the Pitcherless Podcast Network, and I pitched it to Nick. 
as this uh, thing. I was like, well, we're going to talk about why people love baseball, fully knowing that like that would be a question we would always ask. But yeah. it was just going to be like, a, well, let's just talk and see what happens. And it's a lot of fun. It does end up with some long episodes, though. I think our longest went over three hours wow. <laughs> once, which was which is too much. It's too, that's too much. <laughs> I might cut cut you off at like two and a oh, half hours, but I'm, please I'm in. cut us off at two because I get tired and loopy, and I don't. We do it late at night, and it goes so long that I genuinely forget everything I say on the <laughs> podcast. Like I'll I'll listen back and be like, oh my god, I said that. <laughs> you had Janice It'll on an fun. episode too, right? We did. We had Janice. Uh, we had um, our most recent episodes with Sarah Sanchez. Um, and we have an episode coming out soon with Ellen Adair, which is one of right. my favorite episodes that we have ever recorded. Uh, it was a blast uh, talking to her. But yeah, we've had a, we've had a bunch of fun people. It's uh, And we've got a bunch more coming down the pipe, too. So, yeah, including Drew at some point. Very soon. Lock it in. I'm, I'm I think absolutely, the, man. the cool thing about your show is that it just shows other sides of, you know, people who, you know, you're re- used to reading like rankings articles or, or whatever, but like, it's nice to know the people behind that. Um, so I, I found and, that yeah. super enjoyable. And, and DJ, you had like maybe the best ghost story we've had yet. Oh, yes. Like we've on subsequent episodes, we have mentioned like, yeah, but you got to hear DJ's ghost story because it was like there was there was one other recently that was also a really good ghost story. But yours, one of the best. I, I love it. I appreciate it. <laughs> is that is that part of the prompt? You have to bring a, a ghost story. You don't know. So one of the questions we tend to ask, just because it's fun, is have you ever seen a ghost, uh, or or a UFO, or just had something, some kind of experience that you just couldn't explain what happened? And we have had plenty of people who are like, nope, sorry, and that's fine. But every <laughs> now and then we get someone who's just like, yeah, like like DJs was like. Yeah, I saw a ghost. Like I waited for him, and I literally saw him. We were like, "Yeah, cool, there he is," <laughs> which is just insane. Like most people, it's like I don't know. I heard a door shut. Yeah. Um, Ellen's was pretty awesome too. Like it was very clearly like she like had a negotiation with a ghost about a house she was living in. Wow. And the common theme, uh, New England old houses, like old Cape Cod houses, always haunted. Wow. 100% of the time we've had like three different people who are like yeah I was in some old house in Massachusetts and it was haunted <laughs> I have another I have another story for you before we get into baseball so oh my god please I do. live in a house that's a, a hundred years old um I currently like that's your current yeah, house yes oh sweet um I've not seen any ghosts or heard anything weird but one day I was in my daughter's room four years old and behind her dresser all of a sudden a picture falls Now, we moved in. The place was immaculate. Nothing anywhere. A picture falls down. I hear it fall. It's like this tiny little picture of this woman. And I'm just like, where? It was like an old picture. Like, it's all. This is not one of your pictures. No, no, no. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, the picture's like kind of like broken up, but it's like this old lady's face. And I'm like, oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God. And that's I how a curse starts. Out. Yeah, that's how exactly. a curse starts. I was anticipating like there to be a second act, something <laughs> to happen next, and nothing has happened yet. Um, hey, ghosts are patient. Don't worry. Yeah, no, right. one day you'll wake up and your uh, your wardrobe will be because I'm sure you have a standalone boudoir uh, <laughs> <laughs> that'll start shaking and something will pop out. Don't worry, it's gonna yeah. happen. 
Yeah. So no, that was that was really freaky. Uh, but that's the only thing that's happened so far. I'm trying that's to wrap crazy. my brain for a good paranormal well, story. Don't spoil it now. Save it. For yeah, you've bed. got you've got plenty of time to think about. It. And again, I, we've even had like Nick. When I asked Nick, he was just like, "No, ghosts aren't real. That's stupid." I was just like, "Cool, thanks, Nick." Like, <laughs> I, I might take the Nick track. <laughs> that's fine. You know what? That's fine. We we always ask because it's fun. And even like UFO, like weird thing in the sky or. Even just like, I don't know, something weird happened. I don't know what it was. Any kind of, you ever almost died. That's another good one. I mean, any those kinds of. <laughs> you ever almost died. Welcome to yeah, I mean, you know, some there's almost always a good story there. But yeah, no, think of it. And uh, we'll have you on in a couple weeks for sure. I'm in. So let's get into these surprises. We actually have a special offer for our listeners and viewers tonight. You can use promo code Bases 10 for 10% off any premium subscription for NBC Sports Edge Plus can be either monthly or annual and for any tier. It also works across all sports. Baseball is coming to an end, but of course, football is in full swing right now. I believe there's a game going on right now, right? Uh, I'm not sure who's playing. Oh, yeah, I guess it is Thursday. I have no idea. Uh, It's not the Ravens, so I don't care. Texans, Panthers. (laughs) Texans, Panthers throwing around the old pigskin. Uh, the the egg ball. Uh, so remember, it's promo code basis ten. You can go to promo. You can go to nbcsportsedge.com/slash/premium to get started. So the idea is surprises, and we usually don't do prep for this show, but today we kind of did. Uh, yeah. So we each picked three surprises from this season. Could be like guys who faded off the map a little bit and have come back. You know, maybe young players kind of you know rising and. Or veterans who were kind of boring, but then made their way back to the surface. So a lot of options to choose from. Um, Drew, the newly married man, um, I will let you go first. Yeah, if you'd like. And we'll kind of go back and forth. If my story got through the the audio hiccups as I'm using my new wife's laptop, yeah, Tyler O'Neill hit that three-run go-ahead bomb on the night of our uh, wedding reception and I mean, he's been incredible. I looked up his Yahoo ADP was 325. So mm. went undrafted in a lot of leagues this spring and has been a top 25 outfielder um, entering play on Thursday before the Cardinals earned their 12th consecutive win, had a 282 batting average, 891 OPS, 144 OPS plus when you factor in that Bush Stadium is an extreme pitcher's park. 20, 29 homers, 70 RBIs, 13 steals. 80 runs scored in 127 games. These are the kind of numbers that O'Neill posted in the minors and just wasn't really ever able to translate those to the majors in limited action until this year, obviously. And he did enter the season as the locked-in starting left fielder for St. Louis after winning a gold glove out there in 2020. So maybe he should have been more on the radar. And he really is a great defender, too. The speed shows off more in the outfield than it does on the bases, usually. Um, he's just he's one of just nine hitters this year to produce 29 plus homers and 13 plus stolen bases. Do you want to guess the other eight? Um, and I, I don't mean to put you guys on the spot. I can offer hints. Wait, but, uh, wait what was the category? It was so looking for eight other hitters beyond Tyler O'Neill that have 29 plus homers and 30 plus steals or 30, 13 plus. 13. Well, I know I know one of them, and that's Cedric Mullins. Yes. Cedric, yep. <laughs> That's one. Uh, oh, man. Who else has double digit yeah. steals Tatis. and almost kind of like 30? Oh. Tatis. Mullins Tatis. 
Um, Starling hmm. Marte? No, no, he doesn't have 29 home runs. Uh, that would have been really cool if he did. Yeah, you you got to start from homers and work back to the 13 steals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So oh. we have O'Neill, Tatis, o- and Mullins. Yeah. Oh, what about uh, uh, Jose Ramirez? Jose Ramirez? Yeah, yeah. Got him. Hmm. What about what about Baez? Javier Baez. That's a good. Yeah, that's looking a good one. for four more. Oh man! Uh, Two of them are the likely MVPs in their respective leagues. Oh, uh, Bryce Harper. Oh yep. yeah, Harper. Yep. And uh, we already said Mullins. He should be an MVP. No. <laughs> oh, uh, Otani. Otani. Oh yeah. Two more. They're both um, infielders. Oh, um, oh uh, Marcus Semien. Mark. Yep. Looking oh, for Semien. one more. Uh, uh, he, I don't. I don't want to give it away. He put. Pl- you probably don't like him, DJ. Um. <laughs> oh. Oh. Is it um. Uh, Ozzy. Ozzy Albies. Yep. Nailed it. That was good. I like. I like Ozzy Albies. Albies. I know. I started thinking you, NL NL East. And I was, I was trying to. Call. Yeah, I was trying to give you an NL East hint without really. Giving <laughs> no, that's that's a pretty good list that he's on. Those are superstar players. Yeah. Oh and, yeah. You know, his hitter profile is crazy. Like his baseball savant stat cast page, top five percentile and average exit velocity, hard hit rate, barrel percentage, expected slugging sprint speed. I think when Acuna was still active, O'Neill and Acuna were the only two players that were top three in exit velocity and top three in sprint speed, which is insane. Um, but also O'Neill is bottom five in strikeout rate and whiff percentage yeah. and also a batting average on balls in play beneficiary. And some of that is the speed, but yeah. his BABIP is up above 370 right now. Um, but he's, I don't at least this year, he has not been as inconsistent as that profile would suggest. Um, and you combine the entire skill set and the position he's in as their everyday left fielder. He's top 20 right now in Fangraph's version of wins above replacement right around Rafael Devers, Freddie Freeman, Matt Olson, Max Muncy, Aaron Judge, Manny Machado, Kyle Tucker. Um, and if the Cardinals make changes to the, to the dimensions of the stadium over the offseason to make it a little more hitter friendly, which is something we talked about with Derek Gould on a, a couple weeks ago episode of this show. O'Neill's power will obviously shine through even more. So I, I don't know where he goes in drafts next season, but I'm buying. And I guess it depends on what the price is, but I, I, I think he's a true breakout candidate. And if he makes a step, if he takes a step forward with the plate discipline stuff, and it's been a little bit better in the second half, we're talking about an MVP candidate. You know, not to go too crazy, but that's that's legit. Yeah, with the defense, I I understand that. I actually saw someone the other day say that like the way that he follows through with his swing and the way that he wears the uniform because he's like pretty muscular. He looks like a mini Mark McGuire. Yeah, I, I buy it. Like, look at the way like yeah. the follow through of his. Yeah, it's like exact. It's kind of it's kind of weird. What's what's super wild to me is that like his I honestly did not know until I just looked it up that he's 15th in the league in sprint speed. Yeah. Which is like he has a better sprint speed than uh than Acuña, than Billy Hamilton. Uh like that's wild. That is move. wild to me. He I I always I always I always loved him when he was in the minors like when he was with Seattle and he had those couple crazy like minor league seasons. I was like this guy's a stud. And he was always on a, you know, a sleeper list that I had or whatever. 
And then finally I gave up on him. And this was, of course, the year I gave up. I was like, ah, whatever. He's a bust. And then <laughs> he does this. Dude, I gave but up on he's him great. too. Even as a Cardinals fan, I was like, oh, they're going to – he's going to be one of those players they trade and then he blossoms somewhere else. Yeah. Um, well, they, they've done that. Yeah, there's plenty of that going around. Well, I was I was kind of afraid he was like a like you remember like Jock Peterson like lit up the miners and we were like oh well this is like the next coming of Christ, and yeah. then he was like fine like a usable fantasy player but not you know the thirty thirty guy or whatever that the miners suggested he might be, and so I was yeah. like crap is Tyler O'Neill that again we're like he's incredible in the minors and then he comes in the majors he's like yeah he's fine but. This season has been awesome, and I mean the skills are clearly there. So, yeah, yeah. I'm totally buying on that too. So, uh, let's get into your first pick, Ben. Yeah, sure. So we already mentioned him, but I picked Cedric Mullins. Um, the only bright spot of my poor, poor Orioles. Uh, well, John means a little bit too. We had a no hitter from him. That was cool. Um, but Mullins. So back in like 2019. Uh, start of the 2019 season, I did a bold predictions article. My bold prediction was that Cedric Mullins would go 2020 and bat almost 280. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, and that was to me, I was like, Oh my God, I don't I'm know. A I'm a Homer. I'm a Homer. What am I doing? <laughs> right, right. Exactly. I'm like, I don't know if he's going to do it, but maybe because like in the minors, he was, he was really good. But then he came to the majors 2018, 2019 and was, uh, awful. And he was fine in like 50 games in 2020. But then he um, changed his batting stance this year, which we noted in uh, a new preseason thing we did on Pitchless called the Mechanical Adjustment Tracker for Hitters, or MATH, uh, where we were tracking different uh, uh, changes to approach that players were making uh, in the offseason in spring training. And he stopped switch hitting. He decided to just hit from the left side. I would imagine that helped because all of a sudden this year, his plate discipline got way better. He started hitting fewer ground balls, more fly balls. His barrel rate jumped up to like around like 8% ish, which is good considering it was like around two or three before Uh, his hard hit rate jumped up. I mean, just he, it's crazy what he's doing. I, you know, I, I genuinely thought his ceiling was about what my bold predictions was in 2019, which is like a guy who hits for a high average, like 280s, and goes 2020, which is a very valuable fantasy player. But now he's going to go 30 30, unless he never hits one last home run. <laughs> but he's maybe going to go 30 30. He's hitting 300. I mean, that's like vintage Mookie bets with a yeah. lower average. Yeah, that's like what Mookie was doing with the Red Sox, uh, save for like the one year he hit like 350 or whatever. But 330-30, that's insane. Uh, I mean, that's a first round pick, man. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, the the speed's always been there. He's always had a good bit of pop. You know, does he go close to 30-30 again next year? I wouldn't count on it, but obviously it's there. And I mean, he's going to be leading off for the Orioles indefinitely. It's not like there's some other great leadoff hitter just knocking down the door. (laughs) So, but yeah, I mean, he just totally surpassed any expectations I ever had for him. He's the first Orioles hitter to go 30, 30. in I don't know how long there's a safe Uh, floor there. Like if we're comparing him to O'Neill, 
Like, I don't know. O'Neill hasn't shown the, he's got the sprint speed, but he hasn't, hasn't shown the desire to steal that many bases. And I think yeah. Mullins will continue to do that and the Orioles will let him continue to do that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so that, that gives you a floor. And if you get another, if you get 30 steals, 20 homers next year, you're happy. Even if you, Oh my God. Yeah. Especially if he still hits for the high average, Yep. which I mean, you know, his Babbitt's only sitting at three thirty three. Um, yeah, the you know, thing, it, yeah. The thing about Mullins is like the metrics say this is this is who he is, which is yeah. awesome. One thing yeah. I noticed: so he had seven barrels in 295 batted ball events from 2018 to 2020. So seven through his first three seasons, 295 batted ball events. He has 38 of them this year in 460 batted ball events. So this is a player who. You know, I think being able to concentrate on just hitting from one side of the plate, like that's got to make a huge difference. I think seeing the ball. Yeah. Well, and he also figured out how to hit breaking balls. I mean, before this year, he, he could hit fastballs pretty well, but he was awful against breaking balls. And then this year he figured out how to hit them. So I just, clearly he did some work and, and it worked out great. And I'm, I'm thrilled. He's on the Orioles. I am so excited. And he's only like, what he's 26, almost 27. He'll be, and he's got a good glove. So he's going to stay out there in the outfield. He's got like, like you said, a good floor. He's going to keep stealing bases and his expected batting average right now is 274. So, I mean, let's say he regresses to that and he hits like I don't know, 275, steals 30 bases and hits 20 home runs. Great. great Love it. Great. I will yeah. take that. Yeah. I don't think you'll have to get him in the first round next year either. No. I would say probably late second round, maybe. I think high um, third yeah. is probably where he'll he'll fall. But there I wouldn't, plenty I, of people who don't believe in it. Yeah. Exactly. And and I, I've always said that I think there's sort of a discount that comes with guys on bad teams because Definitely. people forget about them. Yeah. You know, the, the best player on the pirates gets forgotten compared to the same player on the Yankees. Yeah. And so I think that's going to kind of happen with, with Mullins a bit, yeah. uh, him and, and Ryan Mountcastle, same thing. Ryan yeah. Mountcastle has been having, you know, rookie of the year kind of numbers. And, yeah. uh, I feel like it kind of gets, forgotten by a lot of people because he's on a bad team and so you just don't yeah. hear about it unless you own him in fantasy right exactly well, so usually those kind of teams i guess yeah we should probably speed through this a little more but yeah. th- those the kind of teams like the orioles don't have a, a cedric mullins usually like hitting it hitting lead yeah. off with that kind of skill set um who's yeah. not necessarily a prospect he's kind of a post prospect yeah 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 you get that volume at Camden Yards too. So like that helps with the safe floor as well. So yeah, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm definitely into it. So the first two players we mentioned were, you know, young players who've had potential finally putting it together. My first player is someone who has been an all-star, but faded and now is back. Brandon Crawford, um, <laughs> 34 years old, having the best season of his career, you know, along with, you know, Buster Posey, Evan Longoria, these players having these late career surges with a Giants team has surprised everyone. Uh, so Crawford, th- what's remarkable about him is that he's never hit higher than 275 in a season before. He's a 254 career hitter. Had never hit more than 14 homers since 2015. Had never stolen double-digit bases in his career before. But here he is hitting 300. 21 homers, 83 RBIs, 10 stolen bases, 71 runs scored over 128 games. 
I had never had an OPS plus over 113 before this year. It's 140. Um, what's interesting though, is like, he's been working on stuff dating back to last year. And we kind of saw his numbers improve last year as well, but just having that extra time to work on his swing. If you look, you know, a couple of years ago, his stance was totally different. It's more open now changing where he loads the swing um, just being more aggressive. The quality of contact is improved as well. Notable jumps and barrel rate, hard hit percentage. And also where he plays now is a little friendlier for hitters too. So I think that makes a big difference. Now with Crawford, he's going to be 35 in January. There's no shortage of really talented young shortstops who are just more likely to stay healthy and maybe we haven't even seen their peak yet. So I don't think you're necessarily banking on a repeat, but I think his, his price tag on draft day probably isn't going to be crazy high either. So there's that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there are just like 12 more shortstops that I would probably like on draft day, but um, yeah, he's not a bad guy to like throw. And there's like, no, there's going to be no risk there. And and if he repeats what he does to like close out his career. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I give him a lot of credit. I, I don't oh, know. Oh yeah. Going to be hunting for him on draft day. But. Yeah. I think what's interesting about his season, I think I mentioned this maybe last week or the week before, like with all the um, advancements and technology and stuff, like we probably shouldn't just like give up on veteran players because they can adjust and make changes too. I, I think th- the lesson with Crawford is like, do not underrate like boring veterans at the end. Of oh the yeah. Oh yeah. Any, I, any yeah. someone who hasn't drafted Nelson Cruz could tell you that for the last <laughs> yeah, five that's years. The, yeah. That's the thing. One of the things that annoys me more than anything, every draft, every draft season, is all the people are like, well, he's old, so he will be bad. And it's like, <laughs> we don't know that. We don't know uh, when, you know, obviously age plays a role in players' declines, but it's never a guarantee. I mean, people said it every single year for David Ortiz. He's going to collapse eventually. I'm not drafting him. And he didn't. Nelson Cruz, same thing. There are guys who will collapse with age, Albert Pujols, you know, but you will see, you'll see signs of it. And it just, you know, yeah, I, I do worry a little bit with Crawford. I worry a little bit about, uh, you know, the fact that he's got a 255 expected batting average. Yeah. Uh, that's a big gap going from 255 to 300. Uh, but I mean, you know, the power numbers, you know, his barrel rates up to like, I think it's a career best right now. And I mean, clearly he did some tweaks, so it's definitely been fun to watch as to whether he, you know, does something similar next year. It's tough to say, but like you said, there's going to be no risk. I think there's a whole bunch of people who are going to say, ah, old guy, I'm not interested. Yeah. So, you know, you throw a dart and if it misses, who cares? You wasted a double digit round pick. Yeah. It's exactly. way more fun to, to fall in love with upside than just like proven kind of boring production, you know, than to have never loved upside at all. <laughs> it's easier to dream than just to, you know, <laughs> stay with the woman you love. <laughs> I'm I'm four days into marriage and I, yeah, I was gonna say, dude, you're already. <laughs> <laughs> All right, <laughs> my next guy would be Jorge Polanco, um, and it was like it was less than a year ago that the Twins were talking about wanting Polanco to get more versatile and to like slide into a utility role. I don't know if you remember those articles. It's easy to forget. Yeah. This was like in December, right? 
right before uh, they signed Andrelton Simmons to cover shortstop with Luis Arias in at second base, Josh Donaldson at third. So it was like, where is Polanco going to play? How do you rate him in fantasy? He was coming off a bad year in the shortened 2020 season. Um, he would be a backup for all those guys still pr- play pretty regularly, but um, the fantasy interest had like certainly cratered on Polanco after he was an all-star in 2019. But here we are in late September of 2021. He has 31 home runs, 90 RBIs, 10 steals, 91 runs scored in 143 games to go along with an 840 OPS. Um, he's only 20 years or 28 years old. He's been around a long time, debuted at age 20 back in 2014. So we've seen a lot of ups and downs here. Um, Hopefully it's more ups than downs moving forward. I I do wonder how the twins will approach this off season. Like there are signs that maybe they could do a full on rebuild and maybe that they should do that. Um, Do they make Polanco in a trade part of that? strategy he's on a very team-friendly contract he signed one of those pre-arbitration extensions which players don't really sign anymore but 5.5 million dollars next year 7.5 million dollars in 2023 and then some relatively cheap club options for 2024 and 2025 so the asking price in a trade would would rightfully be very high i think after this career year um, either way, Polanco is going to be an everyday player, I would say, with strong confidence in 2022 with eligibility fantasy wise at second base and shortstop. I think he's the kind of guy you'd love to draft um, like 10 or 12 rounds in. His ADP was 239 on Yahoo this spring. Um, so he's going to probably go 100 picks before that. Um, but I, I don't hate that with the flexibility he offers and the pretty strong upside of production in various scoring categories, um, an okay batting average with some pop and some speed. Um, he's, I don't know, he, he's kind of boring almost at second base and shortstop, but second base has been kind of rough this year um, and he would be attractive to, to me at that position. Isn't it funny how he like alternates good and bad seasons or has so far like i he's the always hosmer of the middle infield or something (laughs) i always i loved it i remember coming into like 2018 i was like just i was all about jorge polanco because he had a pretty good 2017 i was like this guy's gonna be really good and then he has the the ped suspension i think Mm -hmm. and i was and then he kind of got forgotten and then 2019 uh, starts, and he gets off to this crazy hot start. And I remember the end of April that year, I wrote an article where the headline was literally, what more does Jorge Polanco have to do? <laughs> or like, it was like, what does Jorge Polanco have to do to make you love him? Because he was just going nuts, and everyone that's had forgotten him. That's a Bonnie Raitt song. I think that's a Bonnie Raitt song. <laughs> <laughs> everyone had forgotten him, and then he has that great year, and I was like, yes, I'm finally validated. Jorge Polanco's good, and then... 2020 happens yeah. <laughs> so it's it's so weird part of me wonders like does that mean next year he's awful <laughs> i hope not but yeah. no i think i think he's yeah he may be kind of boring but i i love those boring guys i was always as much as i just hate the red Sox with every fiber of my body um for a long time i was loving drafting dustin pedroia towards the end of his career because he was boring and mm-hmm. productive yeah. He would he would give you everything you wanted in every category. Was super cheap, 
and never put up flashy numbers, but was great. And if Jorge Polanco can do that, awesome. Love no him. one, yeah, no one's going to be talking about Jorge Polanco going into to drafts next year. Yeah. You know? even though he's going to be coming off probably a thirty-three homer campaign with some speed and the other, you know, counting stats. But what you like about Polanco is like he's never been a patient hitter, but one thing you can usually count on is he's going to make a lot of contact. Mm-hmm. And what has improved this year is just that quality of contact across the board. That isn't necessarily like predictive. Like we could see that dip a little bit last year, but a player, and we see this all the time, players who have that ability to make contact, if they can add some elevation, if they can loft the ball a bit more, we see these massive power surges. Um, And that's what's happened with Polanco this year. So, uh, yeah, and, and this is another case of a player on a losing team who maybe people aren't paying attention to. So, yep. Ben. Yeah. Um, so my second guy was uh, Trevor Rogers. I wrote, uh, I feel like I'm plugging myself too much, <laughs> but I wrote Plugging an article cool. where uh, in the preseason of this year, I, and I do it every year where it's, it's called the darts that I'm throwing in drafts this year. And it's a whole bunch of guys who are like post 250 ADP guys are like, I don't know, maybe. Yeah. And I remember looking at Trevor Rogers and thinking like he had a 611 ERA in a really limited time in 2020, but it came with this 353 expected ERA, a 386 Sierra and a 30% strikeout rate. And then when you looked at his pitches, like he had this changeup that had a chase rate over 50%, which was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And whenever I look for upside guys, I'm like, I want to see the raw stuff, especially pitchers. I'll look at like what their pitches are. And if they've got a wipeout pitch, I'm usually pretty interested in them. Uh, sometimes it doesn't work out. Trevor Richards is a great example. I yeah. was carrying water for Trevor Richards for many, many years. Every year I was like, sleeper, it's going to happen. This is the year. Cause he had this incredible change up and another serviceable secondary pitch, but his fastball was garbage and it remained garbage and it never worked out. But I looked at Trevor Rogers and I was like, I don't know, this is some interesting raw stuff. Lots of bad luck uh, in that one year. So maybe, and then he goes absolutely nuts. I mean, this season is, he's got a two, six, seven ERA so far this year with a two, six, one FIP and a three, four, three expected ERA. Like that's amazing. I would have never expected that out of him. And, and it's all, he, he tweaked his repertoire, his changeup, is still really good, but his fastball got way better. He gained about a mile per hour velocity on it. It's yeah. a pretty high spin fastball. He's getting like he's getting like eleven percent swinging strike rate on his fastball, which is pretty good for a fastball. You don't usually see that. He's got double digits uh, swinging strike rates on all three pitches. Slider is really good. I mean, all three of them work really well. He throws that fastball hard, and it just complements the changeup and slider so well. He's great. He's he's really really good, and I totally legit as far as I'm concerned. The stuff is fantastic. So I love him. So with Rogers, he he missed I think all of August. He he had a family medical yes. situation yeah. going on with um, his grandparents passed away. Uh, both of his parents tested positive for COVID, so um, he was you know helping take care of his family and stuff. His so mom, when he mom came, was in the hospital for like yeah. So a lot going on with that. So, you know, when he came back, he wasn't, you know, his arm, he had to rebuild the arm strength. His, his velocity wasn't what it was before. He did have um, an uptick in velocity in his most recent start. 
Um, so I don't think that's a concern at all. I think that's just a case of a pitcher didn't didn't pitch for him. Yeah, he was the heavy yeah. favorite for NL Rookie of the Year when he went on. I guess it was the restricted list eventually. Yeah. Um, and then Jonathan India ran away with it. But I, I I would like to have seen if Rogers had had not missed. He missed for like six weeks. Yeah, basically. Um, he had yeah. been around the whole time. What that market, that betting market, would have looked like because in, yeah. India's kept it up for the most part. I mean, yeah. if Rodgers had pitched, you know, at all to that level that he was pitching, it would have been an interesting debate. Yeah, and, I, I do think, sorry to interrupt, but like, oh, no, no, you're good. I, I wonder if he would be one of those pitchers who might have eventually hit a wall anyway and might have needed a break. So, you know, maybe it all, you know, evens itself out. You know, from a fantasy from a fantasy perspective, how we're going to look at him going into drafts next year. Well, I mean, even since he came back in early September, he's had one bad start. Yeah. I mean, he had he had uh, the one start against uh, Atlanta where he gave up four earned runs. Other than that, his first start was against uh, the Phillies. He gave up two earned runs, only had three strikeouts, so not great, and only pitched four and a third. He only pitched four against Washington, but only gave up one run. And then uh, most recently, pitched five and a third, gave up uh, one run, and struck out ten. So, I mean, even even then, like, yeah, I think he did need to rebuild his arm. Clearly, he had a lot on his mind. I can only imagine how much that uh, would affect his pitching as well. But even then, like, he's still pretty good. And yeah. we saw earlier in the year how he can be, like, dominant. So I, mean, I the stuff is looks legit to me. I don't see any reason he can't keep being great. I mean, I'm not going to say he has a sub-3 ERA every year forever, but I the guy's, I don't know, top. 20 starting pitcher top yeah. 30 starting pitcher easy easy top 30 but top 20 probably yeah i could see that uh i remember a start that he had when i when i finally like was all in on rogers i believe he had a start where he went head to head against jacob de and it was like one of the most entertaining games of the season and rogers was like throwing 98 and i was like whoa you know um so yeah. i'm i'm all in i'm all in but it's funny you mentioned jonathan india because he's my next pick um and what's what's interesting about india is that because of the lost season last year it's basically impossible to know what to expect from him he was uh, a number five overall pick of the reds back in 2018 so it had like the prospect pedigree but like his numbers in the minors were not great he had a 767 ops over 121 games between high and double A in 2019 didn't play last year. Like I said, no minor league season. So like coming into spring training, you're kind of like, yeah, he's playing well. I guess he's on the radar, but like, do you draft him? Probably not. Um, but did win the starting second base job coming out of spring training. Um, if you remember the reds decided to move, uh, a Eugenio Suarez to shortstop that moved Mike Moustakis to third base. So that's basically why he ended up, at second base. And and here he is going into play Thursday, hitting 269, 20 homers, 67 RBIs, 11 stolen bases, 89 runs scored over 141 games, um, 67 walks. He's been hit by 21 pitches uh, to lead the league as well. So as a 376 on base percentage, he's really hit his stride um, basically since June when he took over the leadoff spot. For the Reds, the first two months, he really didn't do too much. But since then, he's been great. One of the lowest uh, swing rates in the majors, one of the lowest chase rates as well. Really impressive to see from a rookie. 
Um, very good sprint speed as well. So if he keeps that volume at the top of the Reds lineup, hitter friendly ballpark, you have to like that. I don't know how repeatable the hit by pitches are. Although it seems like those kind of players who get hit by pitches that manages to be like a strange skill. I I don't know know what that is fascinating. And now I want to do an article on how sticky is hit by pitches year to year. Uh, Anthony Rizzo, he he crowds the plate though. Yeah, Mark, Rizzo's Mark, like one top of it, man. Yeah, Mark Canna yeah. though, I feel like is up there. That'll be that'll be a fun like off season like winter article to I just feel like, be like I don't know hit by pitches. Let's see what happens. <laughs> Brandon Nimmo gets hit by quite a bit. Derek Dietrich used to get hit by a ton too. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's probably just generally players. I miss Derek Dietrich being really good. Like that yeah. one stretch he had a, yeah. like a, year, a couple years ago where he was just ripping the ball and just like doing bat flips left and right. And just was yeah. like having a blast. Ripping Man. Shirt off. Yeah. Oh my God. It was so much fun. Like that was, I wanted him now? to be good forever. Oh, I don't even know. Now. I think he was on the, he had a minor league deal with the Yankees. He might've been up on the major league roster for a little bit, but I don't know where he is now, to be honest. Indie ball. Flexing somewhere. Flexing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll, I'll close mine out. Um, I should say up front that I picked out Logan Webb for this segment before he allowed four runs. And I think it was a 45 or 40 pitch first inning on Thursday afternoon against. The oh Rangers. yeah. Yeah. No worries. And that, it wasn't amazing. I, I, what did that end up being? It like ended right as we hopped on. Uh, I, I didn't see it. I was uh, putting the kids. I had the kids in the bath. We were doing d- dinner time. No idea. Yeah. Well, it, it was not a meaningless game for the giants though. No, they, they try to keep their, NL West title grip over the Dodgers. Um, but yeah, it, I, actually, I think the Padres won in a walk-off now that I, I look it up. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a heck of a breakout year for Webb. Undrafted in pretty much every standard Yahoo league. His NFC ADP was 45 or 456. And entering that outing on Thursday versus San Diego, he was a top 30 fantasy starter despite having an innings total smaller than most uh 2.86 era 1.10 whip 141 strikeouts 32 walks in 132 innings double digit win total playing for the team with the best record in baseball all at age 24 and over his first 94 major league innings between 2019 and 2020 he had a 5.36 era with less than a strikeout per inning k per nine of 7.9 and the velocity readings are largely the same as what they have been, like fastball around 92, 94. But he's using his slider a lot more and getting whiffs with it. Also generating a ton of ground balls for a really good Giants infield defense behind him. Ground ball rate of 61.1%, which is up there with Framber Valdez, Lance McCullers, Luis Castillo, Adrian Hauser, and also guys like Dallas Keuchel, Alec Mills, Kyle Gibson. Um so if, if Webb were just like a ground ball guy, you'd worry about how that profile works long-term in this modern era of baseball. But he combines it with the ability to register strikeouts. He's got a four-pitch arsenal. I think the slider has really improved. Um, the upper minor league numbers were always promising for Webb. He was, a, what, a fourth-round pick in like 2016, 2017. And he's putting it all together now. Is he like an ace? Um you know, maybe the trajectory says that, like if, he, if there's another leap forward there, but 
I'm thinking more of a number three in fantasy, unless there's some like newfound velocity spike at some point, which is very hard to predict um, that happening. But hey, from largely off the radar to a number three starter in fantasy, it's been a great year for Logan Webb. And I'm going to pat myself on the back. So when Zach Gallen went down, I guess it was like the end of spring training. I can't remember, but he had like the the arm fracture from like swinging the bat or whatever. So I, I picked Zach Gallen on my tout wars roster. And as my, I went back to back starting pitchers with my second and third round picks, got you Darvish, which looked great until the sticky stuff, uh, (laughs) cracked down. Uh, and then I went gallon. I was like, all right, I have my aces. So gallon goes down. I needed to pluck someone off the waiver wire. And I, I took web and I, I think I, I think I put like 150 in on him and I was like, he's like of all the people I see on the waiver wire, he's the one guy that I think has the breakout potential. And that actually like worked out really well for me. I'm not going to win tower. I'm in second place and I'm like a distant second. So I'm not going to win, but like he's helped keep my season alive. And this is a pitcher who, you know, you're mentioning the, the, you know, the pitch mix changing. So last year he threw his four seamer, 33.7% 33.7% of the time this year, that was his dominant pitch this year, his four seamer 9.9% of the time. So like totally different yeah. pitcher at this point in time. That's like my favorite thing to see. Yeah. I love and seeing if you guys don't have a great fastball. Yeah. Don't, like if you don't have well, a great four seamer. Oh my God. The thing you hit like right on the head. The thing that annoys me so much is when you'll see a pitcher who has a horrible fastball and they just keep throwing it over and over and over again, because they're like, ah, I guess I have to throw my fastball. I'm like, yeah, you, you got to play off your fastball. That's like what right. you've always And it's just, you just don't, we have seen so many guys who have had success pitching backwards, even doing breaking balls more than anything, or doing what Logan Webb did, ditching your fastball and throwing a sinker. And so yeah. now he throws a sinker all the time and the sinker gets a ton of weak contact. He's got that slider curve. Uh, Fangraphs actually classifies as a curveball. I'm guessing it's, it's more of a slurve maybe. Sure. Nick would hate that. I said that he doesn't like the term slurve. <laughs> um, he doesn't think it's a pitch. It's either a bad slider or a bad curve. Yeah, yeah. um, that's kind but, of fair. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. But, um, but I mean, that pitch has been getting tons of swings and misses. And when you have a, sinker that can get you weak contact and then a good out pitch and then a solid changeup that just that works well it's not incredible but it works that's that's the recipe for success right there that's what you need and it's it's great yep um all right you're up next or is it no no it's you it's your last pick ben yeah uh my last one is robbie ray uh so i coming into 2020 i was like pumping Robbie Ray stock. I was like, this guy did the thing that I love seeing pitchers do in the off season. He tweaked his mechanics. Uh, he amped up the spin rate on his fastball, like 200 RPM added a my, uh, 1.5 miles per hour to it. Uh, I'm like this guy, he's going to figure it out, man. Cause uh, Nick has always said, and I, I fully agree with him. There are two types of pitchers. There's pitchers and throwers. you get the guys who just, throw a hundred miles an hour. And they're like, I'm just throwing it and we'll see what happens. And some of those guys are successful. Uh, Noah Syndergaard uh, sometimes, but uh, then you get the pitchers who are like, okay, I, I see a problem. I need to tweak this. I need to figure things out. 
And so I'm like, great. Robbie Ray's being a pitcher. He sees he has a walk problem. He's got a bit of a of inflated ERA, but he's got good strikeout stuff. He's going to fix it. Clearly, he did not. It was it was awful in 2020. <laughs> so coming out of 2020, I was just like, all right, maybe 2017 was a fluke. You know, that one great year he had. And, you know, from now on, he's a guy with, you know, kind of a high ERA, but good strikeout numbers, kind of a walk problem and a usable fantasy player, but not, you know, what I what I hoped he could be. But I was still kind of like, you know what, might as well take a chance. I mean, his ADP uh, was like over, past 300 coming into this year. He was he was free, basically. So it's like, you know what, why not give it a shot? And then he turns in this ridiculous season <laughs> where he is like a Cy Young candidate uh, and had a better season than he did in 2017. The walks went way down to like 6% walk rate, which I never thought I would say about Robbie Ray ever in my life. <laughs> I was like, he's all right. He's going to be 10% plus walk rate. Always whatever you take it and you love the high strikeout rate, but uh, he, Everything's just better. He's located his fastball a lot better. He's it, the zone rates at a career high. Uh, he, you know, combining that with his slider, that's always been great and some solid uh, pitches backing that up. Yeah. I mean, he's great. You know, I, his, uh, his FIP and um, expected ERA, which are both around three, 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 four suggest there's, you know, some regression, but I mean, if Robbie Ray now is a, low to mid threes ERA guy with a great strikeout rate. Love it. I'll take it. But you know, a hundred times out of a hundred, that's a fantastic pitcher. Yep. So even, even if he's trying to fight my Orioles, yeah. uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. up and down years throughout his career though. Yeah. It's been so wild, man. He's just, I had to basically resign myself to being like, okay, Robbie Ray's a guy where you're like, cool. I get a bunch of strikeouts, but I have to accept the fact that, There's you know, in category leagues, the whip's going to be bad. Yeah. And they're going to be starts where he blows up my ERA. So I better supplant that with some good ERA guys, but the strikeouts are great. And then now he's suddenly uh, great at everything. And I love it. <laughs> I, I love how there's like the articles, like where the beat reporters like go in depth with the player and they talk about their mechanical changes, whatever. I wish there's like an article that comes out with him just saying like, it's the pants. Put <laughs> on the tight pants. It's the like tight, everything. tight pants. He's got everything his tight pants pants. on. <laughs> totally changed the blood flow. And, yes, uh, exactly. <laughs> there's more blood to his arms now. I think that's what it is. I mean, he gets a ton of credit for pitching in three different home ballparks. Too. Yeah, he's been like a oh yeah swashbuckling, just roving ace the whole year. And yeah, he might of, be the favorite for the Cy Young Award too. Two of those yeah. are minor league parks that are known to be hitter friendly, and Roger Center's hitter friendly too. Yeah, he he's. He's really been impressive this year. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably vote him for Cy Young. I haven't fully looked into it in a couple of weeks though. Yeah. I yeah, I mean it's probably between him and Garrett Cole, I guess. Um, mm. I don't know. I, I think I'd take Ray myself, but um, so my pick is Luis Garcia with the Astros. My last pick. He's right on the fringe of the top 30 starting pitchers in Yahoo leagues right now. He actually made his major league debut last year, made five appearances, including one start with the Astros. It was kind of a, if you remember last year, there were a lot of prospects who were like on 40 man rosters who got called up and kind of like surprisingly. And that's the case with Garcia last year. He moved all the way from high A to the majors last year. So it was sort of reasonable to expect, you know, the Astros would send him back down this year when everyone's healthy and that never really happened uh, because Jake Odorizzi signed late 
Then Odorizzi hit the injured list in late April. Uh, Urquidy was hurt for a bit, Lance McCullers. So like all these opportunities that otherwise he might have found himself back in the minors, he stuck in the rotation, you know, and here he is today, 3-2-3 ERA, 161 strikeouts, 48 walks, and 150 in the third innings. Um, has a deep arsenal, low to mid-90s fastball. His four-seamer actually gets hit around quite a bit. Um, he's only he's thrown at 44.8% of the time this year. So the secondary pitches are important to him. Um, cutter, slider, changeup, curveball. Hasn't really been as effective with those secondary pitches in the second half. Um, but he certainly held his own. And I also think you have to uh, take into account the, the workload. Um, no minor league season last year. So he was probably going to wear down a bit anyway. I think he's a pitcher who you're probably not going to have to pay a ton for next year. Um, so I think he's, he's pretty interesting to me. Um, and I, you know, right now he's, you know, he's a top 30 starter in Yahoo. I think that's probably where he'll go. Maybe even a little bit lower among starting pitchers next year, but you know, a good lineup there in Houston, I think the win opportunities are going to be there. Uh, just 24 year old, 24 years old. I think he has a, a really bright future there. Yeah, like a full-on, full-on breakout candidate for next year. I, I like that a lot. Yeah, I'd be very interested to see what would happen if he started using his four-seamer a bit less. Yeah. Maybe increase. I mean, so my first instinct is to say, all right, well, you've got a great cutter. Start using the cutter more as your primary fastball pitch, but he doesn't locate it really well. It's only got like a 30-some percent zone rate, which is not what you want your primary fastball pitch to have. But if he can locate it more in the zone – maybe it becomes a little less of a strikeout pitch or just he starts using the four seam less because that's, that's one of those things. He has this four seam. It's getting knocked around. It's the worst pitch in his arsenal and he throws it a thousand times, you know, a year. And, and that just, I feel like that can be a bit limiting. So either unless the fastball gets better, I would be really interested to see what would happen if some of those ratios kind of got a little bit closer together. Right. So, to close out the show here, I wanted to ask you, Ben, because I know you're a big music fan. Yeah. Um, what you've been listening to lately? It's been a while since we talked about music. So, what's what's your, like your favorite album of the moment? Yeah, I need recommendations. Yeah, man. So, uh, my favorite album of the year so far is the album that uh, Church has released a few weeks ago. I'm a huge yeah. Church's fan, uh, and like some of their albums have been, uh, all of their albums have been very good to incredible this one might be their best the one they released really? a few weeks wow. ago it really, I it's it i like them a lot but i haven't listened to it it's Thank at you. least equal to their debut in my opinion yeah. it's i've been listening to it a ton it's great um i also uh you know i the uh death heaven record that came out a little while ago that's not everybody's taste they they were kind of a black metal well black gaze so black metal shoegaze band now they've kind of moved more towards just shoegaze uh, which they're really good at and i love it um but that you know there's all kinds of great stuff from this year uh but i've also recently been having this like new appreciation of genesis for whatever reason i've been like (laughs) going through yeah so i've always loved peter gabriel era genesis oh always loved incredible oh peter gabriel is incredible i'm a huge prog rock fan and I love, you know, Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, uh, you know, Selling England by the Pound, all that stuff. It's fantastic. And I've always been Sledgehammer. fine with Phil Collins era Genesis. 
and then I um, I get in my email every Sunday. Pitchfork does a uh, review of an old album. They oh, just yeah. do an article on it, and they're really well written. You know, big long articles. And so a lot of times I'll on a Sunday I'll listen to whatever album they review and kind of read the review and listen to the album. It's fun. Um, it's my idea of fun, at least. <laughs> and one uh, a month or two ago, uh, they did Duke, uh, the Genesis album, which is a Phil Collins era Genesis album. And I was like, all right, I'll give this a listen. I was like, holy cow, this is really good. Like, it's not. I think you have to accept that that era of Genesis just it's not prog at all. It's it's pop music um, with totally. with definitely some prog elements. I mean, they'll still throw in a 10 minute song here and there. They did that on a, um, we can't dance. There's a couple seven, eight minute long songs, but Phil Collins is just such a gifted melody writer. And I, I listened to all of Duke and I was like, this is fantastic. And then I gave, um, was it Abacab a listen? And I was like, this is really good too. And then we can't dance. I was like, this is really good too. I had just forgotten how much, uh, like 80s, early 90s era Genesis I loved. And so I've been kind of going through a renaissance of that while also going through all my new music. But uh, yeah, it's I'm behind on my new listening too. There's so many, the too, only too many albums. The album for me recently that's like, I guess sort of new I've been listening to is Japanese Breakfast. So good. That yeah. fantastic album. Jubilee. It's just yep. like really fun, like dream pop. Maybe yeah. even like I don't know what the word chamber pop I guess is another like terminology like that yeah yeah but it's just like really really good I mean I she's yeah. great everything she does is great she even wrote a book this yeah. year right um, oh I didn't know that that's yeah. awesome so, did you ever no. I don't remember if I mentioned it to you did you ever listen to Nick Cave's album from this year from earlier this I year I have I remember you recommended yes. it I have I have I listened love it. To it and I do like it I do like I it. I everything Nick Cave touches is gold as far as I'm concerned. Um, Oh, and la uh, last one I'll mention, aside from I'm a fanboy of the whole Boy Genius trio. So Julian, yeah. both Julian Baker oh. and Lucy uh, Deck has had new albums yeah. this year. Both of them are fantastic. Yeah, the Lucy okay. Deck is album I really, really like. So good. So good. Uh, but Wolf Alice had a uh, great album this year, Blue Weekend. Uh, I'm a big fan of theirs. I bought it on vinyl as soon as I heard it. I was just like, I love this album. It's so good. It's a fun fun kind of not pop but like you know like old school kind of indie rock almost yeah 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 uh that was great um but oh speaking of old school indie rock did you know clap your hands say yeah did an album this year no i had no idea they did and it's great really it's really good i mean it's wow. it's very like since i know dj you're a fan of like mid to late 2000s indie rock mm -hmm. you'll love it a lot of people criticize it and be like Clap your hands, say yeah. It hasn't moved on from the mid two thousands. I'm like, that's yeah. fine. Yeah, neither. Am I. <laughs> neither neither it's like, am I. Totally fine. It's like it's really good. It's really good. Yeah, you brought up Nick Cave, and I had to yes. look this up to verify. But he he did the uh, soundtrack for the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert. Yes, King. great movie that, too. That score. <laughs> oh, awesome. he's incredible. He is the my favorite documentary of all time is about him. Uh, it's called. Um, once uh one more time with feeling or once more with feeling one of the two but it's a um documentary about the making of the album skeleton tree by nick cave and the bad seeds which was made and recorded uh during the recording of it um nick cave's son died uh, tragically fell off a cliff and died. his teenage son died 
And the documentary is all about how Nick Cave is dealing with that grief and kind of putting it into the music. And it's just, it features some amazing musical performances and it's just an incredible documentary. I just, I love everything he touches. He's one of the greatest songwriters ever. It's on Amazon prime. Last I checked, but great. It's definitely depressing. It is the most beautifully shot documentary I've ever seen. They took a lot of care to make it look pretty rather than a your typical, like just stand and shoot, do interviews kind of documentary. It's, it's beautifully shot all black and white. It's gorgeous. Cool. But so yeah, ben, you could keep us here forever talking. No, about no, so. you know, I was going to say <laughs> with the, with the CBA expiring, we may have nothing baseball related right. to talk about for a few months. So we'll have to have <laughs> you back and we could just talk about whatever. Yeah. We'll oh just, my God, dude. We'll, I marathon. we'll po- podcast for 24 hours. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I'll, t- I'll get all of it out. Cause I, I talk about music to my wife and she's like, hey, no, I don't need to hear this. <laughs> she's like, it's go okay. talk to your internet friends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go talk to your internet friend. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, have rankings of albums from every decade and year that since like 1960. So I will gladly talk music always and forever. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll definitely have to have you back. Is there, is there anything else you'd, you'd like to plug before you go? You've, you've told us yeah. everything you've worked on this year, but <laughs> basically, yeah, I plugged every article ever. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no. So uh, as we mentioned, Shag and Flies, check that out. My podcast with Zach Hayes, uh, which is a blast. Um, I did an article a couple days ago. I mentioned about uh, whether or not you should care about when a pitcher changes their arm slot. Yeah, I saw uh, that. We always we always talk about that a lot where I was like, "Ooh, arm slot change. That's a big deal. And the data I found found that sometimes it's kind of important, but not really. Not always. Um, So. Uh, yeah, check that out. And, uh, yeah, that's it. That's pretty much it. Awesome. Thank Thanks again. Yep. Yeah. Like, thank you guys. If you like what you're hearing with this show, circling the bases, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening, if you're listening on Apple podcasts, please rate and review. If you don't mind, follow us on Twitter. If you don't already, I'm at DJ short. Drew is at your sill. Be safe out there, everyone. And we will see you next time. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 